Hello everyone, welcome to the next episode of the NK Active podcast. I am joined with Charlie and David from NK Active for this episode and we thought it'd be nice to have a discussion around all things, what to do when things don't go to plan during sort of the treatment and the rehab process, just because we would love things to go perfectly smoothly every single time, but life would maybe get a little boring if that happened. And in reality, that doesn't happen. Um, we will have bumps and blips along the road, which is perfectly normal and it is perfectly fine. And we kind of expect it um, as well. But it's still, what can we do to help manage people and you guys through that when when that happens? So, David, it's sort of you've got a lot of experience in treating a wide variety from complex blast traumas down to anxiety down to treating people in the workplace so would you say is it common for things not to go to plan i think it's it's normal i think uh, to have a plan particularly with time frames this is going to happen at a certain time frame when we look at evidence for tissue healing and take things through there should be a structure there but we're dealing with people who are complex organisms and things don't always follow that pattern. So uh, I think it's very normal for things to, yeah. to diverge in different ways. The phrase I like is human beings, <coughs> we are reliably unreliable. I think if you if you got a bridge, you can use physics to work out the exact load that bridge can take at any one time. And you could technically do that for tissues. The issue of human beings, we've got a brain that sort of just says, uh, let's have a little bit of fun with this and just sort of <laughs> let's just let's just drop this into the mix as it were and just sort of spice things up and I think that's what makes our job interesting is that no two patient journeys are the same we could see 10 people in clinic with an Achilles problem but everyone's experience and journey of that is is different I think that's part of the learning because we learn it mechanically tissues this happens this muscle does this this does that and we forget to apply the ankle or whichever joint we're looking at to the person with thoughts and beliefs yes so the rehab process has got to include that person with thoughts and beliefs that's not a recipe that you start you do this followed by this followed by that um, because you've got a different person attached to it and it's quite a difficult thing to understand initially that if someone could have exactly the same injury they'd get a completely different rehab program because we treat the whole person and not the joint or the tissue. Yes. And I think that's why like, there are lots of support groups out there, especially on Facebook. I and mean, this is why sometimes they can be really helpful, but they can also not be helpful because someone will say, oh, I've got plantar fasciitis. What do I need to do to treat this? Someone may put an answer up that worked perfectly for them. And that was the right treatment for that person at that time. However, that treatment then may have no positive net outcome for that other other person. So unfortunately, we try and sort of pigeonhole things together. Sometimes it works, sometimes it it doesn't. So Charlie, sort of David sort of touched on that sort of holistic approach, as it were. Sort of, can you sort of sort of expand on why that is important, really? 
Yeah, so I think the holistic approach is, when we talk about holistic approach, it's about taking about someone's um, emotions that may be connected to them either not feeling well or feeling poorly. It can sometimes be the emotions of not being able to do something or doing something. Um, and that's then connected with actually what is the, the, the physical thing that may be wrong with them. And then also what those barriers, so that psychological aspect and things like mental health, things about how you physically feel, those of your family's opinions and influences will all come together to create this wonderful human being that is then not very well, but doesn't wants to be better. And so I think it's being mindful of sometimes unpicking some of that and then working out what we're good at and what we're not. And we're very good here at using a, a team approach, a multidisciplinary way of, of working. So for me, I sit within that, right, what's the pathophysiology? What's the skeletal structure? What's the uh, anatomy? And what's the evidence base around that? I can do the bits that start about beliefs and understanding and educating. But if it's something about how to manage anxiety or depression, that's where I'm going to have to start to use those that have more knowledge than myself to be able to work with them in order to be able to get the best outcomes for that patient. Likewise, if there's a plan that requires an orthopedic review, so sometimes we'll work with some of the sports docs here, a patient will have osteoarthritis of the knee. Clinically, I know that, that I've done my assessment, my assessment's thorough, that's what it is. But for that patient to have an image or to have a second opinion is really vital in helping them break down some of those beliefs and values to then be able to do the work that's needed which is that exercise rehabilitation so although the plan may be delayed slightly because that person needs to go and see that next person actually they're really helpful in helping to reinforce that education to then allow us to do the work that needs to be doing and it's amazing how teamwork can really make the dream work oh no i've quoted that awfully <laughs> No, and I think you hit the nail on the head there that just because it's it's non it's not NHS, it's private, we still have access to referring out to different people mm. when we need it. I suppose one of the perks of private practice is that like we can get that done. We can refer out and someone could be seen within the same week normally and that's not normally an issue. And it's if things aren't going to plan, sometimes we need to sort of take that step back, reflect and say, actually, do you know what? Let's get a second opinion on this. That second opinion may say exactly the same what we have done but then you've then got two medical people saying the same thing which then may then enhance that mm -hmm. value of do you know what you talk about the knee OA we know it's DOA they go see the orthopedic surgeons or the sports doctors who say yep it's knee OA but you don't need surgery or you don't need injections or something then maybe then just give someone that positive reinforcement say actually do you know what? I am on the right path I'm on on the right journey and David when do you think it's do you think it's important to know that actually is there a time where maybe we need to take a step back from what they're doing or is there a time where we say someone's coming in and things aren't going quite to plan but we say no we just need to still keep progressing things forward I think it starts with the clear diagnosis from the multidisciplinary team but it's also having conviction in what you've decided and that you can back up why you're doing something that you're doing and that might be different for two different people so if someone comes in with knee arthritis and you give one plan for one person and a different plan for another one your clinical reasoning and your ability to pass that on through the team and say i'm going to do this program with this person for these reasons and this is a different program for these reasons for this person so to be able to back that up individually, I think is quite important yeah. for 
And sharing that, isn't it, with patients? So patients want to learn about themselves. That's a very natural thing to do, isn't it? So being able to rationalise and justify your thought process, I tend to uh, talk mine out quite loudly with the patient, so that they're able to see my logical and flow. So then there's that buy-in, that's that understanding, that learning, that changing beliefs. I love it when a patient quizzes me. I'm like, who is that paper? Do you have that for me to read? Absolutely. I will quite happily go and send that to you. Or we'll have a discussion about what that that was suggesting and how that fits within their clinical picture and what that means to them as a person. And I think those little bits of being able to set those expectations and being able to work together is what will really help benefit them, not just short-term, but long-term as well. I think one of the big problems in the long-term with medical is that people wait a long time for an appointment with the consultant. They're in there, the consultant's read the notes, they very rarely do an assessment because they've got the notes, they know what's going to happen, and they've wait, patients wait a long time for these things, and they're out walking across the car park, they don't really know what's happened, they mm. didn't understand the long words that were used, and they're not really any further forwards. So to have the discussion and be open with the team and with the patient, and include the patients, is really strong. So I think you both raised some key points there. So we know from our feedback from patients that one of the, th- the three most common... T- well, three out of five most common terms used is thorough, friendly, knowledgeable, and listened. That's how they describe whenever anyone comes to see any of us on, that's how they describe what we, we do. And I think it is that so, so important, that, that listening. And you then also touched on a nice point about the getting that what we call emotional buy-in. Mm-hmm. And this is why I absolutely love the whiteboards in clinic. Um <laughs> And I'm, I'm very much a believer that if I can explain in plain English what's going through my head, which can be difficult with the <laughs> times, what there's a million things going around. And for me, I like communicating that via images. Every patient that sees me knows that art is not my strong point, but I still give it a go. <laughs> um, I finally mastered drawing a foot, I think. So it's only taken me like 12 years. But I believe you can use the whiteboard to explain the process to explain the rehab journey explain that things aren't going to go to plan this is what we're going to do when things don't go to plan if they don't go to plan so you've got that you've managed those expectations they understand how you've come to the conclusion that you've got to and you then understand why you're then discussing x y and z as a treatment plan from them and i think doing that almost then helps try and reduce the risk of worrying when things don't go to plan and it's you've almost sort of pre-framed what's going to happen if x and y does happen um and for me also it's explaining the whole journey so if you come see any of us and we'll speak about what we can do but then we'll also then speak about well what happens then if what we do doesn't give you the desired outcome what's the next step so if you come see see us with a neuroma for example or so um, enlargement of the nerve in the foot we may say okay look we're going to speak about footwear we may speak about using full orthoses but then if that doesn't work then there's the possibilities of injections and if that doesn't work then there's the possibility of going having some surgery done as well so then everyone knows every step of of the plan when yeah. things so it's not a complete shock no and i think that's system. it isn't it it's that preparation and kind of i always call it sowing the seeds so it's just sowing those thoughts early on so that they can ask the questions that they want to because a patient won't remember everything that you say in that first interaction with them it's really about 
preparing them and then allowing them to start to ask questions and I love it by the end I always think it's like they go on like a, a journey of kind of adulthood so when they first come and see you it's this infancy of like I've got these questions I've got this stuff but I don't know very much then they kind of go in their toddler stage where they're kind of like right I've got little bits and I'm going to piece them together and I can do my exercises and I'm wearing the right shoes but what do I do next then they go into kind of that teenage phase where they're like look I can do some of this stuff I've got questions, but I don't need your help. <laughs> and then they come to that lovely, fully kind of adult stage where they're then able to kind of go, right, this is what I think I'm doing. This is how I would problem solve it. How, how would you think that? What would be the long-term gain? What would be potentially the risks, the benefits or the contraindications to that? And I think that transformation of kind of mind and uh, physical kind of body as well of, of improvement is really helpful to having something that will last not just six months, 12 months, 18 months, but hopefully a lifetime yeah. as well. No, and I think that's, I think touching on the point where you're not going to remember everything during the consultation. And that's not, that's just, we know there's evidence that I can't remember. I want to say the stats are, you only remember, I think 40 to 60%. I may be wrong, but I know it's around that number of what happens in a consultation. And I think that's why we then follow up every initial consultation with a letter, with the plan of what we <laughs> discussed um going forward so i think then what sort of mechanisms have we then got in place david to then try and work when things don't go to plan i think if we've got a good therapeutic relationship if we're asking the right questions they might be able to tell us what they want what they think of why it's going wrong and uh, help push us in the right direction there's onward referral there are other pathways to go down but I think having that what's going wrong and why is it going wrong and having the discussion with the person because it might be actually I think it's going well you're improving your strength improving your range of movement everything seems to be going fine but the patient comes in and says it's not going well nothing's changed so we've got to make sure that we're on the same path on the same page when we're talking about what's not going well is it that the pain is, is flared up and is that a normal part of the rehab process? Or is it something that's just scared and worried them? Like they've pushed a bit too hard. So we've got to drill down and find out what's not going well. And then that's going to decide how we deal with it. Yeah. And I think going back to things that, that multidisciplinary approach, I think the thing that we also offer here is that us, we, we all have our our different strengths that we can bring to everyone. We yeah. very much have quite an open door policy here. So quite often during a consultation, we will go and get one of the other team to come to actually, do you yep. know what, we're just struggling here or um, can you just have a look at this, offer an opinion? Because we've all got different strengths and, and weaknesses. Like, Charlie, if we've got a new, if you've got a neuroma and it's not going to plan, Charlie's done a whole PhD around <laughs> neuromas. So you can sort of, sort of talk the hind legs off a donkey about neuromas <laughs> and, and, and whatnot. David's done the extra training around sort of CBT therapy, so cognitive behaviour therapy. So, And then also lots of experience in addressing fears and beliefs and relating that back to exercise as well. And I, I've sort of got a, a passion for these complex problems where things have been going on for a while and no one's going to try it get to the bottom of what's going on so we've all got different bits and it's quite common that you'll find that you'll have a consultation with one of us and then all of a sudden there's an extra person joining just to sort of but it's yeah. just that open door 
policy, mm. um, as it were, and just using what's available to us within within the team itself. So Charlie, sort of, we mentioned that we do make sure we communicate with letters. We do communicate with the GP and anyone else involved in that patient's care at that given time. Um, we make sure our notes are held at a high standard. And I think the reason for that is that if someone's on annual leave or something and someone else needs to see that patient, in my eyes, you should be able to read the notes and know exactly the plan, what's planned next, any other things we need to know. So the the treatment is sort of the same level of expectations, almost like that McDonald's effect, as it were. So with McDonald's, the reason I say that, with McDonald's, you can walk into a McDonald's restaurant and you know what to expect regardless what McDonald's you walk into. And that's what I want to try and create in, in healthcare. So it doesn't matter if you're seeing one of us or someone else it's if something happens and you can't see that person you have to switch or just one appointment then that experience and that treatment is still exactly exactly yeah. the same so sort of other mechanisms that we've got in place that ought to help when things don't go to plan yeah, so here we use a consistency of language. So we make sure that the defining terms that we're using, all of us as team members know them and we know what they mean so that we're not conflicting the person by using different vocabulary and words. So we appreciate that we are um, from different backgrounds and so we try and make sure that we use the same language and the patient's language. Um, we do a lot of reflective practice. So we show them at the beginning of their initial appointments with us, they will have a whole set of baseline data collective. This will be qualitative and quantitative. So that's using numbers and words as a way to measure patient outcomes. Um, and what we will do from then is always do that reflective bit. So when patients are on a journey with us and when they're having care and they're getting better or there's improvements or there's change, they may always forget, actually, where did I start from? Um, so we do kind of try to get them to keep reflecting back to where was their starting point and where they are now. We do obviously do a lot of post work, so looking at showing change and where that change happens for those individuals. Um, we also uh, hear if a plan doesn't go quite to how we would expect, um, we do a lot of work of auditing. So I thought Nick was going to tell me about auditing of notes. It's the fear is because I look at them. <laughs> so what we do is we hold a session where we bring um, all of us together and we look through our notes. We look at what we're doing well, what we could improve upon, um, what needs more detail, what needs less detail, um, what is uh, needs to be said to the patient, what do we need to add here so that we can make sure that their journey with us is as friction-free and slick as possible. Um, and this just helps sure that we are making sure that we're collecting all the right bits that we need to for that individual. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I think that reflective practice is key because we expect patients, we, we teach patients to do that. So we should do it ourselves and hold ourselves accountable and say, okay, uh, what can we look at? What, what went well? Great, that's good. That's always nice to know. But for me, I'm always interested, okay, what can we improve on to make it better for the next person that's coming through through our door because the only constant in life is is change so we've got to be able to willing to adapt and change to the environment to the scenario to the latest evidence that's coming out and not get too hung up on well i've done this for x number of years and this is the way i've done it it's always worked for me it's accepting that actually yeah you may have done that but actually tomorrow is a new day and some research may come out and say actually this is maybe possibly a better way to do it and i think having that auditing of that data is well, we can do that, we can implement it, and then we can then test it, we can reflect on it, and then change practice according to that Yeah, to second that data. set of eyes, isn't it? Having a second set of eyes can just sometimes pick up the little details that may have been overlooked. 
And I think it's also offering that support to patients is that you're with us for a certain amount of time, but it's knowing that actually a lot of patients will go away, reflect, do something, and then come with queries. And we sort of say, look, we're always at the end of an email or a, mm. or a telephone. If you've got any questions or queries, just do just drop us an email, drop us a, a phone call, as it were, and we can help answer those. Because I tend to find a lot of those where you've got these, you sort of see storm brewing as it were, in, in emails, and you sort of think it's a lot easier to nip it in the bud nice and early rather than let it fester. The last thing I want is someone to go away and think, oh, they're not seeing us for two weeks, and then have a concern or a question and let that fester for two weeks. I'd rather they sort of contact us straight away so we can sort of iron that out mm. nice and nice and early It's on. the understanding, isn't it, that people will think uh, differently. So for myself, if I have a consultation with a, a, a professional, I'll go and think about that. And then yeah. I will come with a list of questions, probably either the next visit or I'll have more questions to ask. There are some people that can ask those within that period of time and there's some that come with prepared of pre-questions. So I think for us, it's making sure that our services adapt to the variation that we see within people because um, actually otherwise you exclude those that could potentially do really well. So then a question for David is, does everyone always get better? I'd like to say, yes, we're absolutely fantastic. We're perfect. And <laughs> if you come here, it's guaranteed. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not guaranteed. We can't cure everybody of everything all the time. And I think it's important to recognise that. But having said that, that's where we're going to learn. What could we have done better? Why didn't we? Was it something out of our control? Was it that we said you need to get strong and they went and ran a marathon? Why didn't they get better? And to, to look and, and take time to go through that that patient's story as a team. Did we miss something? Was it the wrong programme? What was it that we could have done better? Or actually, wasn't there anything in our control that could have changed that? Yeah. Right. And I think sometimes it's that mindfulness, isn't it? Some of the conditions that exist, people won't get better. That That's not in the, the history of that with rheumatoid arthritis. It's very much about management of that condition. And I think if we set someone up to saying, actually you're going to be fine and they're not then we're doing a disservice to them so it's making sure that we are aware of what our own limitations are and what we can achieve and that we're not overemphasizing on things that aren't doable no and, and that's I, honesty isn't it that's it is honesty and i think unfortunately that is the world of medicine and dealing with the human body is that sometimes you can't cure everything you can't treat everything but that almost then leads me on to sort of an open-ended question that I'll ask the question and then I'll give my views mm-hmm. on that which is sort of is it our job to remove pain improve function or do both and I think this all comes back down to what we said earlier managing those expectations as it were because as society I think we can get focused on that you judge everything by pain levels but if you've got some a someone with osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis or another some other medical conditions, the chances are pain is going to be a part of their their normal life. It is normal for them. And actually when you look at the evidence, trying to correlate pain to a musculoskeletal injury, it, <laughs> you're both smiling because you both know what I'm about to say. Is <laughs> that it's actually a very poor predictor. So I think is actually sometimes it's set and managing those expectations and saying, well, actually, you want to be pain free. But what happens if, OK, you're always going to have a background niggle. So the pain may always be there in some sort, but actually 
you can do all your activities you want without the pain affecting your activities. And then when you ask people those, actually, no, that is an acceptable place to be. And I think when you then actually drill down to it, when you ask most patients what actually, when you get to them, you ask them really what they want, it is to be able to do their activities that they want to do. And with these chronic conditions, they'll learn to live with that bit of discomfort and whatnot. So I think, is it our job to remove pain? I'm just not sure that is the right question to be asking. I don't think we can answer it. I think it's the individual. So a lot of the patients that I work with, we do have chronic conditions. And actually, for them, it's that knowledge of understanding what are the risks, what are the benefits, and where do I want to place myself? And that's not a decision that I can make. That's for that individual. So some of them will decide that actually it is complete resolution of pain. That is the driving force. Others are like, actually, I can live with some discomfort, but I want to know what the benefits or the risks might be in the future. What's the prognosis going to look like? Uh, and for others, it's just, please let me know that there's nothing going to be that's horrific and I will cope and manage to the best of my ability. And I think it's appreciating that everyone sits on that continuum yeah. and that continuum will change depending as people gain more knowledge or as people, um, aging factors, life influences. And so where people start and where people end will fluctuate. And it's just being mindful of that and i think that's the privilege of working with people in exercise and rehabilitation is that yeah. no two people are the same i think surgeons may save lives but do we improve the quality of life for whatever that looks like for that person mm. yeah massively and i think we, we won't get down to the pain conversation too much but i think your perception of pain surely changes on the environment that you are mm. in if you are out for a run you fall over in the road your ankle but there's no one around whatsoever the chances are that may hurt if you then repeat that scenario but you've got a double decker bus about to run you over i can almost guarantee your ankle's not going to hurt the injury to the ankle is the exact same injury but the scenario that you're in is is different and, and another way i use it to explain patients is possibly um if you were um, sort of having some Achilles or hip or ankle pain or whatnot, and unfortunately family pet died and you lost your job in the same day, your your perception of pain is going to be massively different. You're mean. Yeah. <laughs> but if you come in and you just won 80 million on a lottery, I can almost guarantee again that how you're going to feel pain-wise. And it is, I think this is why we, we need to move that conversation away from... Yeah, pain, pain is complicated, well. isn't it? And I think that's the wonder of it and the interest and the fascination with it because it is so complex. Um, but while the research is going on and we're blending that with clinical practice, at the end of the day, there's still a person that needs help. Yes. And so you may not get that 100%, but like David said, to have that ability to improve someone's quality of life and how we measure that will be different. And I think that's quite a... A wonderful thing that we can contribute but i think that's then going back to the point you made earlier about that holistic approach mm. two things do you two have anything else you want to add i think uh, we've covered quite quite a lot mm. so yeah a lot of i think have well again thank you both for coming along having a chat with us hopefully everyone found that useful um don't forget if you got any comments or queries just pop them below and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast as well and we shall see you on the next episode see you later bye